Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. King Ahab, ruler of the northern kingdom of Israel, is considered one of the most wicked kings in the Old Testament. And today we hear about one of his most infamous deeds. And it all begins with him coveting something that he should not have. He covets Naboth's vineyard, so much so that his coveting consumes him, and he and his wife Jezebel show that they will go to just about any length to get what they want. Now, before we dig into what Ahab and Jezebel did specifically, I think it's important to note and of interest to note that this vineyard is actually one of the, the many biblical locations that archaeologists have been able to verify with a pretty high level of certainty. In the Jezreel Valley of Israel today, back in 2012, starting about 10 years ago, right outside where Ahab would have had his palace, archaeologists uncovered the foundation of a winery cut into stone. And since vineyards, the plants and things, don't leave very much evidence behind for archaeologists, a winery is a very strong indication that a vineyard would have been planted right next to it as the people working there wouldn't have wanted to travel very far with their harvested grapes. And so this particular winery, it dates back to the exact time period of King Ahab, and it was found next to what looked like a palace or where a military establishment was, and is thought to have been the very place that was originally cared for by Naboth himself. Now, we don't know very much about Naboth, other than he seems to be a fairly respectable man, And he owned a beautiful vineyard right next to the king's palace in Samaria. And King Ahab wanted this prime real estate for himself so that he could plant, as our scripture says, a vegetable garden. Now, I don't know the status of all of King Ahab's real estate at this time, but I doubt that he was truly in need of one more piece of property just so that he could have a vegetable garden right next to his palace. But you see, that didn't matter to King Ahab. He wanted it, and nothing was going to convince his heart otherwise. So he gave Naboth what he thought was a pretty sweet deal. Ahab would get the vineyard, and Naboth would get a a better vineyard, I guess, somewhere else, or at least enough money to pay for any loss that he he would suffer. Now, if this were only about a land transaction we might wonder, well, how could Naboth refuse? After all, it's a chance to get on the king's good side plus enough land or wealth in order to provide for himself. But Naboth does refuse. He says, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. You see, for Naboth, this wasn't a decision 
driven by profit. He is reflecting the understanding of the people of Israel that goes all the way back to when God gave each tribe of Israel their particular portion of the promised land. And it was given with the understanding that God is the true owner of all things. And his people then are the stewards, the caretakers. And that land given to them connects them with the promises that God was giving his people. And what God gives as a gift, that's not simply just to be given away. It's to be cared for and managed well. And so Naboth was honoring God by wanting to care for that land given to his fathers. Of course, none of that mattered to Ahab, which immediately shows us where Ahab's heart was. If he had heard those words from from Naboth and and recognized that Naboth was after all right and, and that Ahab shouldn't take that land, that would be one thing, but that's not what Ahab does. His heart is not turned toward God nor towards his neighbor. And instead of being content with all the blessings that God had already given him as king and how he had more than enough to truly be content in life, Ahab wanted more. He coveted more. Which is why after a royal temper tantrum, Jezebel, his wife, came to him to ask him why he was in such a foul mood and not eating anything. And so Ahab told her the whole story. Well, not the whole story. He doesn't give the reason why Naboth said no. He only tells her about his generous offer to Naboth and then tells her that Naboth refused him. Well, Jezebel decided that this was where she was going to enter the story. She was going to be part of all of this. She doesn't encourage Ahab, assuring them that they had more than enough provided them uh, from God and, and that they don't need this vineyard. No, instead, she devises a plan that is going to compound his evil and wickedness even more. She said, do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard. Of Naboth the Jezreelite. And so her plan goes into action. She sends out letters in Ahab's name and and with his seal to the leaders of of Naboth's hometown. And and the letter said, proclaim a fast. Well, something must be terribly wrong in the kingdom if a fast is being declared. And then set Naboth at the head, head of the people at whatever they were gathering for. And then set two worthless men opposite him. And let them bring a charge against him saying, you have cursed God and the king. And then take him out and stone him to death. And tragically, the leaders cooperated. And Naboth is killed as a blasphemer against God and the king. And the king, Ahab, he's able to take possession of the vineyard because all property that doesn't have an heir immediately goes to the king. All the while, Naboth looks like the scoundrel, and Ahab looks like the innocent benefactor of the whole thing. Well, Ahab may have fooled a bunch of people to get what he wanted, but he didn't fool God. If we were to keep on reading, we would see that God was going to send Elijah the prophet to condemn Ahab and Jezebel for what they had done. And and just think for a moment about all the commandments that they had broken through all of this. They had lied. They had given false testimony against their neighbor, the eighth commandment. 
They had stolen, seventh commandment. They murdered, fifth commandment. They used God's name in vain, second commandment. And they treated something more important than their desire to honor and worship God, which of course is the first commandment. All of this because they coveted the ninth and tenth commandment. Neither Ahab nor Jezebel properly feared loved or trusted God above all things. And that's the first and most important commandment. And sin flows from that breaking of the first commandment. What this does is expose the spiritual deadliness of breaking the ninth and tenth commandment, or any commandment for that matter, to covet To covet means much more than just wishing you had something besides what you already had. To covet is to stop trusting God to provide for all that you need. And to begin to allow your heart to long after things that are not yours. And these are longings that would never be satisfied. Because without trusting God... You could have all the things in the world, but without a healthy love and trust in God, they are never satisfied. We see this also in our gospel reading this evening from Luke chapter 12. A man approaches Jesus and asks him to settle a dispute between him and his brother over an inheritance. Now, here's the kicker in all of this. This man who approaches Jesus, this this brother, he may have actually been justified in his request. He may have had a legitimate claim against his brother. But, But Jesus, seeing all matters as matters of the heart, he took the opportunity to to say to this man and to say to everybody there and to give them a warning. He said, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And to demonstrate the deadliness of this, Jesus then tells a parable of a rich man who had so many crops, he had to tear down his barns and build larger ones. Now, from our modern capitalistic point of view, we may not see much wrong with that. After all, didn't this man do well for himself? Shouldn't he be allowed to take care of what is his? But again, this was a matter of his heart. And Jesus clues us in to the rich man's heart because he was having a conversation with himself. After building all of these larger barns, the man says to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many Years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But what he wasn't considering was his relationship with God, who came to him that night and ended his life, leaving all of his things that he had accumulated behind. He had not considered God. True wealth, Jesus said, is not found in material things. True wealth is found only in our relationship with God. And that's what Naboth understood. And that's why Naboth protected his rights to his vineyard. He was trying to honor God with what he had been given. But King Ahab and and this rich man from the parable, they did not understand this. They cared nothing about their standing with God. 
And instead, they focused all of their energy and all of their heart on material things. The other problem with this kind of attitude, as if that wasn't condemning enough, is that this has real-life consequences on a person's neighbor. Because no person exists in a vacuum where other people aren't affected. In other words, if you are being overly concerned with possessions and how much you have or how much you want, then it probably, probably means that someone around you is either being affected by you or being neglected by you. And this is what we hear Martin Luther teaching us in his explanation of the ninth and 10th commandments, that we should be of help and of service to our neighbor in his keeping his house or any of his possessions, urging any part of his household to stay and do their duty. When our efforts are only focused on how much we can get, then we are naturally not going to be asking the question, well, how can I help my neighbor or friend succeed in their life today? Ahab certainly wasn't asking that of Naboth. And this also never crossed the mind of the rich man before he decided to go ahead and build larger barns and store all of his goods for himself. Now, before we think that because we are neither a king of Israel nor a rich person, that somehow this doesn't all apply to us, let us also remember that it doesn't matter how much or how little we have in this life. What matters is the matters of the heart, how it is we consider our lives and all that we have been given in light of God. Are we content with what we have received from God? Or do we find our hearts wandering toward the things that we don't have? How often are we considering others and their well-being? Or is it only ever about ourselves? The truth is, whether or not we go to the extreme lengths to get what we want like Ahab did, or mask the pursuit of what we desire under the guise of hard work and success like the rich man did, we all may be guilty of the sin of coveting because we all at different times may place our relationship with God on the back burner so that we can attend to the things that we think are more important to us, including trying to get things or get possessions or get money or get success. All the things that we wish we had but don't. On this Ash Wednesday... And all during the season of Lent, we concern ourselves with reflecting honestly about what the state of our hearts are. And we should not take lightly what the status of our heart is. After all, we all sit here condemned with ashes on our foreheads, reminded that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. Death follows sin, and sin, our sin, has earned us nothing but dust and death. But of course, the ashes are not placed randomly upon our heads, nor haphazardly. They are placed in the shape of a cross, 
Because in the midst of remembering the sinful state of our hearts, in the midst of seeing how our relationships truly are with others, and how our heart in its relationship with all of our possessions, and how our relationship with God leaves much to be desired, we also remember that there was one who came who went to the cross for all of our sins, including the sins of covetousness. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for me. Now, Jesus did not covet. He did not want what he didn't have. He wanted what his father wanted perfectly. He had a perfect understanding that all things come from God, our Heavenly Father, in a perfect way. And he spent his life helping others live faithfully in what God had given them. And then upon the cross, he paid the price for all the times when we fail. And Jesus opened a path for us to be able to repent of our sins, including our sins of covetousness, and return to him so that we may receive his forgiveness. And what's more, at the cross, Jesus' righteousness that he earned was given to us as he, in exchange, took all of our sins so that he could make the payment that was owed for them. All of our sins are sins of coveting and all others. They lead us to broken relationships, broken relationships with our God, broken relationships with other people. They lead us into dust. But we do not remain there. Just as Christ could not be held by our sin, he could not be held by death, neither are we held by sin or death. Because Jesus has given us new life a life of forgiveness, a life of peace, a life of perfect contentment. Yes, we may even face our own death one day, and likely, unless Jesus returns, we will, and to dust we will return. But because of what Jesus has done for us, even our death is not the end of our life. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection assures us that even despite our death, He has prepared for us an eternal life with him, a life where we will be joyfully and eternally content in his presence. And in the meantime, in our lives here and now, as we go out from this place and as we go through the season of Lent and for the rest of our lives, we know that we may repent any time that we do find ourselves wanting more than what God has graciously given us. We turn away from this kind of distrust. The Holy Spirit turns us away. We also turn away from any kind of neglect of our neighbor when we see ourselves doing it. And again, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are able to live in this new life that Jesus has given us in right relationship with God and in right relationship with those around us. We have been given God's gracious gift of contentment. Because in Jesus, we have all 
that we could ever want or need. In his name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.